I just feel so lonely. I wonder if she's ever going to text me back. So much. Why am I so anxious all the time? What should I have for dinner today? I'm so worried just about the job interview. Just breathe. I really should work out I today. I just can't catch a break. Would you love me? Just if try to really relax. Me? I can't just keep breathe. doing this. Just breathe. I just, I just feel so lonely. I'm so worried about the job interview. Why am I really Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you are here, whether you're joining us in the room or online. Uh, It's been a a great morning so far at Sherwood Oaks, and I expect the same uh, here at the 11 o'clock service. There are so many things that, that we experience like that are similar, but we just never really talk about them. There, there are things that we, we all experience, but we just very rarely ever talk about them or, or bring them up. And comedian uh, Brian Regan jokes about saying you too uh, at the wrong times. Have you, ever, have you ever done that? You know that awkwardness? Uh, and so you're at a restaurant and your server brings you your meal and says, enjoy your meal. And you say, you too. And then you're like, what do I say now? Like the next time you eat, I hope that you enjoy it as I'm about ready to enjoy this one. Or you're you know, giving uh, someone your ticket as you're boarding the plane and they say, have a good flight. And you say, you too. The next time you fly, I hope that it's a good flight. So we've all been there. We've all done something like that, right? Uh, We're probably all guilty of asking someone's name and then forgetting to listen to what they say. And like a half second later, we're like, oh, what did they say their name is again? I can't ask again because it was like literally five seconds ago. We've probably all been there. Uh, Then there are good things like the feeling that you get when you wake up and you're still kind of groggy and tired and you think, oh, I can't believe it's morning already. But before you put your feet on the floor, you check the alarm clock and it's only 1.30 in the morning. Can I get an amen? That is the best feeling in the world right there. Man, that sleep that comes after that, you don't sleep, baby does not sleep that well. Uh, Maybe wanting to wake up at 7 a.m., you got an eight o'clock class and so you wanna be there on time. And so you wanna wake up at seven o'clock so you set an alarm for 6.30, 6.45, 6.50, 6.55, because you know you're gonna hit snooze on all of those. And then eventually around 7.23, you finally get up and, and get out of bed. It's probably an experience that many of us share. Going grocery shopping, Finding the gallon of milk that expires one day later than all of the other gallons of milk in the fridge. Like you feel like you are Charlie that just found the golden ticket in the Wonka bar. That is such an exciting feeling. Or or maybe when you're doing some online shopping and you are relaxing on the couch, you're covered up nice and warm underneath a blanket. And when you hit buy, it's like, oh, we need this random number on your credit card that you're never going to remember. And so you have to have it in front of you. And you're like, ah, oh, now I've got to get up off of the couch and go and find my wallet and find that little number. Like my body never feels as heavy as in that moment. We've been there, right? Like, and if it's not that, there's probably so many other things that we all have in common, but we rarely talk about. And one of those things is grief. Grief, that, that deep sorrow that comes from the pain of loss. We're starting a new series today called Headspace. And over the next few weeks, we are going to look at the connection between our head 
and our hearts and how the gospel, the good news of Jesus fundamentally changes not just everything in our lives about who we were and who we are and who we are becoming. The gospel does not just change everything about us. It also changed the way that we think about ourselves, the way that we process all of these thoughts and these emotions that just bombard in that headspace constantly, sometimes on repeat every single day. The gospel has a way of transforming those thoughts and, and entering into that headspace and giving us, giving us the, this hope that only Jesus can bring, of transforming our minds in a way that only Jesus can transform. And believe it or not, Scripture has a lot to say about our mental health. It has a lot to say about it. In fact, Scripture says things about mental health that psychologists are just kind of catching on to. We're going to see some of those things. And I don't know that there is anything that has a way of disrupting our hearts and our headspace challenging our faith or affecting our mental health more than grief. That, that deep sorrow that comes from the pain of loss. It affects both our hearts and our heads. And all of us experience some kind of loss and grief, probably, honestly, in more ways than what we even realize Maybe it's not the passing of a loved one. That's typically how we think about grief. But I'm telling you, grief manifests itself and loss manifests itself in so many different ways. It, many people feel a sense of loss and grief and mourning over the things, the way that things used to be. It, like, like where you are in life right now or your family, your career, you you mourn for what used to be and you just wish that you could go back to it. There's a sense of loss in your life, which brings grief. A friend moves away. That's a loss that brings grief. A coworker retires or left for another job. That's a loss. Being the coworker who retired or leaves for another job, there's, there's loss to that. Transitions can be good and beautiful, but there's a sense of, like, of, of grief that happens around them. Maybe you grieve the, the loss of a stage of life that you absolutely loved, but you are no longer in. Like right now, there are parents across the country who are grieving being empty nesters. And so college students, call your parents today. They want to hear from you. They're grieving being empty nesters. To be fair, there are probably some parents that are like, praise Jesus, hallelujah, we got the house to ourselves. Uh, but empty nest syndrome is a real thing. There's a sense of grief and loss that comes with that. Maybe you loved the baby stage of childhood development, just holding your child. And now that, that, that baby that you used to rock to sleep and look at just lovingly talks back to you and says things that you're like, where did that child go? You grieve the loss of that stage of life. And maybe you grieve a shift in our culture, even a shift and changes 
happening in our church. There's a sense of loss about that. Maybe there are things that you can't do anymore that you used to be able to do. And you're wondering about your identity and your purpose and there's grief that comes with that. Today is September 11th and 20 years later people are still grieving the loss of someone that they loved who was in the buildings or on one of the planes. Maybe someone sent off to fight global terrorism and never came home. Maybe you're still grieving the way that our our world changed on that Tuesday morning. All of us go through times of grief at one point or another for various things or another. There there is this truth about loss and about grief and about pain and suffering that, that maybe you've heard before. It says, when it comes to pain and suffering, you are either going through it, just coming out of it, or about to walk into it. It's not very good news for us this morning, is it? But we probably, if we've experienced any kind of life, we know it's true. It's one of those things that no one can escape from in this life. Pain, suffering, grief, loss. You're either in it right now. You've just come through it. Or it's somewhere on the horizon. And you're going to walk through it sometime. The good news for us, though, in the gospel is that we do not have to walk alone in these times. God redeems not only our lives, but those difficult things that we walk through. And I'm not one of those that that preaches that everything happens for a reason. In, In fact, I'll just tell you flatly, I don't believe that. I don't believe that everything happens for a reason. But I do believe that in everything, God can work to our good and to his glory. And the same is true for grief and loss. That God is in the business of making something beautiful out of our pain and redeeming it in a way that not just is for our ultimate good, but for his glory and the good of others who are walking through their own grief and their own loss. It's why James the half-brother of Jesus, who knew plenty about loss himself and pain and suffering. And so he speaks from a place of experience. He says this in James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I don't know about you, but the word joy is not typically the first word that comes to my mind when I think about trials and sufferings of many kinds. He goes on, he says, the reason why is because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. In other words, as we go through these times of grief and loss and suffering and trials, it is doing something in us. God is using that to do something in us, to make us walk down this path closer with him, closer to Jesus, with him right by our side. It's why the Apostle Paul, again, another person who knew a lot about grief and suffering, is able to write in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit 
who has been given to us. God is doing something in the midst of our suffering and our pain, our trials and our loss. God does not cause these things to happen, but he promises to redeem them. If we allow him to, God uses pain and suffering and grief to train our hearts and our souls how to fix our eyes on Jesus and set our hearts on the hope of heaven. A few years ago, some friends of mine went through a trial that no one wants to go through. And they're here today to share their story with us. Would you please help me welcome up to the stage Ben and Crystal Woods. Well, hey guys, this is the third where uh, <laughs> I just, I so appreciate it. I mean, this has not been an easy morning for you all to recount and share and teach. And, but wow, we have been blessed by you, um, by your story, and by just what God has done in your lives and is doing through your lives. So thank you so much uh, for being here with us today. And Ben, uh, this isn't the, I love this, man. I love it. This is not the first time that you have actually been up on this stage, is it? Uh, true. True. It true. Is true. So Ben was the uh, lead singer of a band called Slingshot 57. And if you are a church kid of a certain age, then uh, you were probably at a concert, a festival, something that Slingshot 57 played in. And in fact, you guys played on this stage back in like the mid 2000s. And it made such an impression on our production team that they still have the poster hanging up in their office suite. I think we, we got a picture of it right up there. Man, look, look at that young kid. Still need a haircut. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's me. That's you. That's you. And I love it. Last night you were saying that uh, after, you know, the brand you kind of went own ways and everything, that you were actually using those posters as uh, wrapping paper. Yes. All of my family have received yes. um, Christmas gifts, birthday gifts, wrapped in posters of me. Because <laughs> that's funny. Um, so my brother doesn't think it's nearly as hilarious, but... I'm pretty convinced it is. Yeah. So. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love it. Well, guys, tell us uh, just a little bit about yourselves, about your, about your family. Yeah, we are, we are Ben and Crystal Woods. Uh, we live in New Albany, Indiana. So farther south than you guys, we're like, we're like, we're like the bottom. Okay. Yeah. Um, so. But you're on the right side of the river. That is you true. You're on the right side and of the river. That's Point of clarity. That's important. Yep. Yes. Um, but for us, our, our story began in Bible college. Uh, we met at Lincoln Christian College back before the turn of the century, um, late 90s. And so uh, that's where you came into our yeah. lives. So, yeah. uh, that just has a different ring to it when you word it that way. Um, but, our college kids up there will be like, man, they're old. We, yeah, but, we are yeah, old. We are, and we're okay with you it. You too. Yeah. Right, so go. <laughs> but, uh, We've been married for 21 years. Um, Thank you we, for pulling this. I was going to see she's like, okay. <laughs> like, well, guys. No. Um, yeah. And we have three amazing, beautiful children. Our oldest is Ezra. Ezra is 15 now. He is witty and he is hilarious and he is 
a teenager, and so like his one of his favorite things to do right now is sleep, and uh, that's. <laughs> but he is a kind kid. He cares about justice, and he has a very strong sense of what is right and what is what he needs to stand for. And I love that about him. And he loves music. He's yeah, a drummer. He's a drummer. Yeah. Um, our sweet center child, Kala. Uh, she's bright and she's bubbly. She makes a friend in a second. She is outgoing to the max. Um, she's, uh, she's kind of like our entrepreneurial spirit. If she has a goal, she's going to get to it because she is just going to make a way. She uh, started her own online slime shop when she was nine years old, um, determined to raise her own funds to um, get to Romania to serve on a mission trip to care for vulnerable kids. Um, she just has the biggest heart to look out for the left out. Um, and then our baby is Lila. Lila is spunky and just a goofball. She just, <laughs> she likes to laugh. She likes to make other people laugh. She's all about the jokes. Uh, and she's a gymnast. She flips and flops and flexes everywhere. She just kind of bounces through life right now. Man, that's great. Uh, beautiful family. And just, I, it's been great to, to see Lila even this morning. Like a couple of hours here and she's walking around. I mean, it's Jesus and then it's Lila. Like she is running this place. It's awesome <laughs> to see. Yeah, yeah, she does. She does. Well, about uh, well, a few years ago now, your, your family and your lives um, kind of changed forever. Um, tell us what, uh, what happened. Um, so it was early in the spring of 2019 that our sweet center girl, Arcala, um, started having headaches at the age of nine. Um, we were digging into figuring out what those could be. Um, and then uh, in, in May, Ben takes a missions trip to Romania to serve every year. And that's just a stressful time for our family. We're not separated often. And so... During that time, her headaches just increased in severity and increased in, in pain. And, and so she and I went to the emergency room where they ran some, some tests and they determined that they, um, they found several brain tumors in Kala's brain and um, told me that I immediately needed to call my husband and get him to come back home. Um, and then they rushed Kala and I to our local children's hospital where they continued to do tests and tried to dig into what was causing the tumors. Kala was in um, isolation at the ICU because they were not sure whether it was contagious or it was an infection um, and endured many painful, difficult tests. Um, and when Ben walked in the door pretty much on his, like when he came back from Romania, they pulled us into a side room and they told us that they believed that Kala was battling um, a form of brain cancer. Um, from that point, we decided to have Kala transferred to Cincinnati Children's Hospital and kind of work with some of the best doctors in that area of pediatric cancers. Um, and, and uh, they did more tests and dug in a little more. Um, and I think for us, um, you know, me being on the other side of the planet, uh, making my way back as quickly as possible, um, the level of confusion, the, the gaps of like there's just so many unknowns, and to be taken into a side room for them to say, we don't know what this is. We know it doesn't belong. 
but your daughter is in the fight for her life. Um, and that just washes over you and you are thrust into a new reality uh, where the level of helplessness is hard to even articulate, but you, you know you do not have control over this situation. And so, yeah, we found ourselves very quickly in a room um, and then moving to a hospital where the, the best of the best, the specialists in that specific area could focus on figuring out what this is. So Kala was in a battle. Um, tell us what that battle looked like. How, what was, you know, just what was that time like yeah. as, as you guys walked? An emotional roller coaster. Uh, just an emotional roller coaster. Uh, there's all these tests and all these scans and all these interventions and all of these, these treatments and her, her team of medical specialists are growing immensely and they are filtering through her room and it's, it's because they don't know what this is. I, I will never forget her neurosurgeon saying there's nothing typical about pediatric brain tumors. Um, he said, but typically the biopsy will match up with the images from the scans and it will fall into a category and then we know how to respond in treatment. And I'll never forget him saying, Callas seem to be creating their own category and we've never seen this before. And so um, it was a whole host of having a front row seat to your own helplessness, but also watching your sweet center, ah, child, suffer. It was difficult to manage your pain. And at the same time, that joyful, evervescent, just magnetic, charismatic, just beautiful little thing, like captivated everyone that came into our room uh, because just love just pours out of this kid. And so they're seeing every bit of that. We're seeing every bit of that leaning into all of it as, as best we know how. Something about Kala that I'll always remember, too. Um, we were walking in the, the lobby of the hospital, and I was just trying to prepare her a little bit for some of the things that people might say. And I said, Kala, sometimes people will say, you know, everything happens for a reason, and God made this happen because you're so strong. And she interrupted me, and she said, Mommy, this is not God's fault. And just the way that her faith shone in those moments of clinging to faith, knowing who her God is, knowing that he has not abandoned her and that he's with her, it just shows that he, he has her heart. Um, and in the pain of watching someone you love so much hurt so deeply, there's just a helplessness that you encounter, and yes, there is pain, and yes, there is awful, but there's also God's presence in that room, and we felt that. We knew that because we were looking for it. We were worshiping him there. We were praying to him there. We were believing in him there, and so as much as, as that room held pain, it also held God's spirit and God's presence, and I could feel it. I know Calla was experiencing it as well. And I could just, I would whisper out the words that he was whispering to me that it is not forever, Calla. It is just for now. 
And when I would pray and beg God, you have got to do something. She is hurting. Nobody here can help her. You have got to help her. I hear his voice tell me, deliverance is coming. And the peace that that comes to me, even in the fear of the unknown of what that deliverance might look like, is real. God's presence was real in that room. We knew that rescue was coming. And we watched. And we prayed, and we watched, and we prayed. And there's no shortage of faith in that hospital room, no shortage of faith in those prayers. And we watched the life of the church, like our, our local church family, but God's global church, rally around our family and lift up prayers on our behalf and on behalf of Kala. And eight weeks later, Kala was rescued to heaven and home by her King Jesus, safely carried in, into his presence right from our arms. Kala was rescued, <clears throat> delivered, all of those things. And, and while she was never more alive, as you said in one of the, the services today, you guys were left with just searing pain and loss and grief. What did the grieving process look like for, for you all? We live life between her rescue and our reunion. Um, and I think for us, when grief invades your life, it is, it is incredibly disorienting, but it's also reorienting. Suddenly, so many things mean something different now. Hope means something different. Heartache means something different. Hard, our previous definition of difficult, that threshold is long gone. And so you, you come to terms with the fact that there is deep, deep sorrow and yet deep, deep joy. And it is because there is deep, deep love. And so you lean into it. You don't run from it. It's that reminder, like we, we've already kind of pronounced even a little bit, like the God's presence. I mean, we long for a peace, right? Like we, our hearts long for things to be made right when we know pain in a deep way. And the truth of it is that, that our, the peace that we long for that surpasses all understanding, it is not found in the absence of pain. It is found in God's presence in the midst of it. And so you enter into that. And you hold fast to the truth that you've been taught. And you allow those promises to pull you forward. And I think in grief, there's just um, the voices scream really loudly. The, he should have done something. He could have saved her. He doesn't care. He did this. And I know the voice of the accuser very clearly. But the way that I have clung to faith and hope is by drowning that out, by really soaking up the voice of God through his spirit, through prayer, and through his word, that um, 
that he does not leave us alone, that he has rescued us, that he has promises that are so firm and secure and just ahead of us, that Jesus really is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. He will rescue us from this dark, this kingdom of darkness and transfer us safely into his kingdom of light because of his death for our debt. We have forgiveness and we are walking forward toward home with him because of what he's done for us. He's not done yet. I've, I've talked with many people over the years of ministry who almost feel a sense of guilt that they feel grief in the midst of their pain. And I think in, in their minds, and, and, and it's very easy that they, we can oftentimes equate grief as lack of faith. Well, if I, if I have faith, or someone may even say, just have more faith to get through this. Can you, can you talk a little bit about the relationship between grief and faith? Well, Hebrews 11 says that faith is the evidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about the things we cannot see. And so if grief is disappointment in this world, then faith is hope in the next that he really is preparing a place for us that we walk toward with him. He doesn't leave us alone to find our way, but he walks alongside us. And Jesus knows grief. He knows pain and he knows hurt and he knows this journey. And so if I can trust him, he knows the way forward and he knows where he is leading me. And I will trust that what he has promised is actually going to happen. It's faith and it is grief hand in hand, but it pours out in hope. And I, I come back to this often that there's no pain that we know that he doesn't. And if he will allow it, he will redeem it. That's his promise, right? Like when we look at Romans 8, and we will often talk about it of how um, that it's like God will work good um, out of the biggest messes out of the, the, the most painful things, but he will do it for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And sometimes, sometimes we can toss that around pretty carelessly, right? Like what you were saying of like, just have more faith. And the reality is, is those seats aren't cheap. They're quite costly. But if you can see that, as an invitation to partner with him in the redemption of all things instead of impede him, well, then you can keep moving forward in the tension of hope and heartache holding hands where grief, grief is not spiritual immaturity. Sorrow is not sin, right? And so we have to be mindful of that. I, I think often of Psalm 23 and whether you grew up in church or not, you've, you've You've heard Psalm, the 23rd Psalm, but that truth of though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it doesn't say that I will run through it. It doesn't say I will run around it. It doesn't say I get to skip it, but it also doesn't say I will choose to live there and set up camp. You will walk through. And so I think, I think very much the tension between the faith and grief is recognizing that the worst things, they are not the last things. Because there is great joy ahead. So I imagine right now here in this place, there are some people that are maybe walking through times of grief or 
know that it's ahead. It's going to be a part of their story sooner rather than later. What would you say to the person that's experiencing grief right now? And what would you say to the person who maybe knows and loves someone who is going through a time of grief about what, how they can walk with someone through a season like that? Um, for me and my grief, I feel like um, God has just been framing the truth that we are on a journey, that we do not belong here, that this is not forever home but that he is leading us toward home. And so that has been poured out just in this metaphor of a journey that we are walking through what we are right now. And yes, it can be awful, but it is just for now and it is not forever. So I think as I've, as I've walked through grief and as I recognize that Kala is not behind me and I did not leave her and she did not leave me she is ahead of me and I'm running toward her and it makes me know that I will have lifetimes ahead with Kala there is hope it is true it is all true and that we are walking forward to what Jesus has for us and so sometimes in grief I feel like you can feel like it's the pain that holds you that ties you to some person and that letting go of that is somehow letting go of them and that is not true your hope is what holds you to that person and where you will be together forever and so when you walk forward you're walking toward them toward your person's your people that you love toward the person that loves you the most toward Jesus and toward the place that he has prepared for you heaven yeah and i think if you are walking in grief I just want to tell your heart, don't settle and don't quit. Let your pain propel your praise because God is still good. Let the good things of this world point your heart to worship him and let the hard things point your heart to worship him. Because here's the deal. Jesus is not just the means to the end. Jesus is both the means and is the, he is the end. This is all about him. And so if you are walking in grief, just as Paul says in Colossians 3 or 1 Thessalonians 4 or all of Philippians, so much of it, like I mean, we can go down the list, Hebrews, all of it. It has so much to do with fixing your eyes on Jesus and setting your hearts on heaven because of that truth that the worst things are not the last things because he will redeem it because he's allowed it. And somehow, some way, when people walk through hard things, People who praise Jesus in the dark will lead people to the light. And so that's what secures his glory, right? I mean, when you look at Romans 8, it says, Paul says that there's nothing, there's no amount of pain that you will walk through in this place that will compare to the glory that awaits you. And so if you are walking in grief, you have permission you cannot read the Psalms and not know that most of them, over 60% of them, are of lament. It's declaring and crying out to God, saying, things are not as they should be. You have permission in the same way that the ones that speak of celebration, they make the most sense in the context of the ones that say things are not as they should be. Because it points to the goodness of God and the character of God that he is present. And so I, I would say that to a grieving heart. But for those that are walking with others, I would just tell you, stay present. Choose to be present. You don't have to have all the right words. 
Someone in grief is not expecting you to have all the right words. And I think sometimes we get worried about, am I going to upset them? Am I going Here's the deal. When you are familiar with pain beyond your vocabulary, there is very little that someone can say to you that will make it worse. You are already speaking a foreign language and you are already familiar with the language of tears. And so take the pressure off of yourself to have all the right answers. And when you ask the question, what can I do for help? And they don't have an answer. It's because the one thing that they're thinking of, you can't do. Right? And so just be present. But I would also say this, and then you can say some things. But love people the way you know how. Love people the way you know how. God has gifted you. He's given you gifts. He's given you passions. He's given you opportunities. And the purpose is for them to collide for his kingdom, right? And bring honor to himself. And so the way you choose to be present with someone in grief, the way you stay present, the way you keep pointing their hearts to God, one of those ways will be loving them the way that you know how. And that could look like mowing somebody's yard or making them a meal. It could look like writing them a note and putting it in the mail or shooting a text. I know for us, it's looked like songs that were written or puppies that were given. It's looked like all kinds of things. But everyone has chosen to love us the way that they know how. And so don't, don't put the pressure on yourself to, to make it perfect. Just be present and love people in that way. Because your presence is a gift. It is, it is evidence of your love. Because if you are willing to walk into the pain and walk into the agony and not turn away, that is a gift that people need when they are in grief. They need your presence. And not to take your grief away. I don't want anybody to take it away from me. It is mine and it is a form of love right now. But if you will help me carry it, that is a gift. That is something that people who walk in grief know the weight of and have someone to sit beside them, and it is a gift. And never discount the power of your prayers. I know sometimes, because we unfortunately will treat prayer flippantly, and we want to do something that seems more substantive or more tangible, and let me just tell you right now, uh, God sustains through the powerful prayers lifted up on behalf of people walking through pain. So never discount the power of your prayer. It is to be our first instinct, not our last resort. It is the most powerful thing that you can do to walk with somebody in grief. Guys, thank you so much for coming and sharing with us this morning. Uh, ben and Crystal. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.